Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning again and welcome. If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. We're going to wrestle with what is a rather common question. The question of the unpardonable sin. But as we wrestle through that this morning, I want you to know that we're wrestling with what is an incredibly serious passage of Scripture. Um, in this passage of Scripture, um, there, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room. This should be seen as more of a warning than anything else. And we'll wrestle through that in just a few minutes. Hopefully you've made it to Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Please stand in honor of God's Word. The Bible says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of the demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, truly, in the King James that says amen, which means absolutely seriously, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive this warning. Lord God, I pray that we wouldn't trifle with your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus is one with the Father, and the powerful signs and wonders that accompanied His ministry on earth gave evidence to His relationship with the Father. But even in the midst of this powerful evidence, there were many questions that surrounded Jesus' divinity. You know, when we only have part of the story, when we only have part of the truth, it can be difficult to develop an accurate opinion. The unpardonable sin is one of those sort of partial truths that people can cling to without having the whole story. I shouldn't say that it is a partial truth, but people can grasp at part of it without having the whole story. I want you to hear this story about, it's, it's actually not a story, it's a bridal announcement. It sounds a lot like a lady that might not fit well within our more humble social class. The bride, a graduate of the Faith School and Miss Porter's 
school, graduated from Georgetown University. She is a member of the DAR, the Daughters of the Colonial Wars, the Society of the Friends of St. George's, and descendants of the Knights of the Garter and the Metropolitan Club in Washington, D.C. She is descended from the French Count Gorion de Metz and the English Baron, I can't even pronounce this, Folque Fitzwarren, who was at Magna Carta. They were the subjects of the famous 13th century manuscript, The Romance of Folque Fitzwarren. She was presented to society at the Infirmary Ball and International Debutante Ball in New York City. Bachelor's Cotillion in Baltimore, Queen Charlotte's Ball in London, and was chosen to represent the United States at the Opera Ball in Vienna, Austria. Now that does not sound like a lady from Calpins, or Cassett, or my family, just for the record. We don't have lords of anything. And if we only have that part of this story, then we might begin to assume that this is a lady with whom we could not interact and converse. Until we get to the last sentence in the bridal announcement. Ms. Lord is the director of the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota. Now y'all, that's exciting. That right there, I can know that there is this woman with a royal background. But she and I have something we can talk about because I know how to eat Spam. And there's no shame in eating Spam. It's shameful to eat it right out of the can, but there's nothing wrong with frying it. Y'all, my grandparents were cheap. They didn't, they didn't serve us Spam when I, lived, when I stayed with them in the summers. and We'd go and have lunch at their house. My grandma bought generic Spam. It was called Treat. <laughs> See, that's when you know you've done something. None of y'all have even ever eaten generic Spam. That jelly on top, that's the problem. <laughs> you can smear that on a cracker and then you're good with the rest of it. We only have part of the story. <laughs> some of y'all, see some of y'all grew up the way this lady did. Y'all were presented at the, del the debutante's ball and y'all are a little uncomfortable about spam. Well this lady went to the debutante ball and discovered somewhere along the way that spam was the future for her. For the record, as best I can tell, this is a true story. Listen, when we only have part of the truth, we can't develop an accurate opinion. If I start with the spam story, y'all go, this is a woman that we might be able to relate to. But when we begin to talk about somebody who has rubbed shoulders in the upper echelons of French and British society, we begin to assume that this is not the kind of person that we're going to be able to converse with on a regular basis. Y'all, when it comes to something as serious and as big as the unpardonable sin that is spoken of in Scripture, a lot of people play with all sorts of opinions without actually digging into the Word of God. I'm often asked if suicide is the unpardonable sin or if this is the unpardonable sin or that. But listen to me. We've got to be aware of the reality. Jesus pronounces only one sin that is unpardonable and it is right here. And that sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
Now we're going to dig in a little bit more as we finish out this morning to see exactly what that means. But I want you to leave knowing this, if nothing else. All things can be forgiven. All things will be forgiven for all who call on the name of the Lord. There is only one sin that is not forgivable, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You say, but pastor, what is it? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we get there, I want us to wrestle through this text for just a little bit. Bible teaches us that Jesus had just come out of, of what was a pretty intense time of ministry. The crowds had pursued him. He had gone up on the mountain. He had appointed the 12 disciples. And then in verse 21 of chapter 3, even his family was concerned that he was out of his mind. A lot of you talked about that in life group this morning. I've spoken with some of you about it this week. Some of your families are convinced that you are out of your mind because you have given your heart and life to Jesus and you are committed to this church. That's not a funny story. There are people in this congregation, there are people in this room today who have incredible struggles in their own families because they've chosen to make significant commitments to Christ and to His church. Some of you know that those commitments cost you something. And for those of you that are blessed to be a part of a family that blesses your involvement in your local church, you should thank the Lord every single day. Jesus' family is concerned that he's out of his mind. Now, exactly what that means, there's several interpretations. There are some who say, well, they, they, they really were embarrassed by him and they were trying to drag him off the world stage. There were others who said that, that they were concerned for him, that he was giving everything of himself away. He was working himself half to death. He was, he was obliging to everybody's whim. He wasn't even taking time to eat. And they just said, he's out of his mind. We need to take care of him. Okay? We don't know for sure. Now, what we can't imagine is a situation where Mary, who has birthed him, has suddenly forgotten that the Holy Spirit gave her this child. Right? It's a little difficult to imagine that Mary's going, oh, he's out of his mind. He's not really the Son of God. Of all people, you got Mary who's going, no, I'm pretty sure that this is a legit explanation. But regardless of what was going on, Jesus has just come through an incredibly stressful, exhausting time. And he goes down into Galilee and he's continuing to do his ministry. And the Bible says that there were scribes who came down from Jerusalem. So Jesus has attracted the attention of everybody. And when the Bible says that the scribes came down from Jerusalem, this isn't just like they came down from up da- uptown. They literally came down. They came down. They descended. Jerusalem's about 2,400 feet, I believe, above sea level. Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. They literally came down into the valley. And certainly they began to believe that as they made that trek, that they weren't just making a literal trek down, that they were going down into the depths to deal with the scum of the earth. And the Bible says that these scribes came down from Jerusalem, and they began to say, He is possessed by Beelzebul, that is by Satan, by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. Now, he, they're not confronting Jesus. These scribes would have made great divis- dividers within a local church. These scribes didn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we have a problem with you. These scribes didn't write Jesus a letter and say, Jesus, we'd like to talk to you. These scribes didn't hang a sign up that says, Jesus, meet us in this place so that we could debate you publicly. These scribes went to the people who had been listening to Jesus and let me tell you who he really is. Let me tell you about this guy. Have you ever experienced that? Do you ever know what it's like to have people talk about you behind your back? 
to have people when you're trying to get your life right, when you're trying to allow the Lord to change you and the people behind you are not building you up, they're seeking to tear you down a little bit at a time. And these scribes are going behind Jesus. They're trying to tear him down. And they're not just going to say, hey, be a little questionable about him. They're going and they're actually accusing him of being Satan himself. He is possessed by the devil. The only reason he's doing these things is because the devil's taken control of him. Jesus knows they're talking about him behind his back. And Jesus confronts them. But Jesus confronts in a unique way. I want you to pay attention to the way that Jesus confronts them because it's important. We need to use this in our own toolbox on a regular basis. Jesus' confrontation with the scribes was not to throw things at them and yell and scream. Jesus goes to them and Jesus begins to ask them a few questions. Jesus goes to them and Jesus begins to challenge them. Folks, listen to me. It's important that as we seek to share the gospel with others, as we seek to engage in apologetics with others, that we build a toolbox full of intentional and purposeful questions. Questions have a way of disarming those around us. It's a lot easier for me to say to somebody, why do you believe this, than it is to point my finger and say, you're wrong. When I point my finger and say, how dare you, then we have a fight already. But if I can go to them and say, explain your point, then maybe we can engage in a conversation. Jesus goes to the scribes, and it appears as though he does this in a public setting. And he says, hey, you've made these accusations about me behind my back. Let's wrestle through them together. How can Satan cast out Satan? You say I'm possessed by the devil? Tell me exactly how it is that Satan could cast out Satan. How could a house divided stand? If your argument were true, the kingdom of evil would have already fallen in upon itself. Jesus says, but of course Satan can't cast out Satan. None of that could possibly be true. Instead, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Jesus pronounces to them after he's asked them these questions, oh, by the way, the only way this is possible is if somebody stronger than he has shown up. Jesus came to plunder Satan's house. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's easy for us to believe that outside of Jesus, I'm just my own person. But the Bible says you belong in one of two camps. You either belong to Christ or you belong to Satan. There is no in-between. Jesus says, I am the strong man who came to bind Satan and take from him by force what he thought he had. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus overcame Sin, death, hell, and the grave. He defeated Satan there. Then, Jesus says, indeed he may plunder his house. This is still the introduction. We haven't gotten, if you're trying to figure out where we are, we had not made it to the first point yet. But that's okay. So Jesus confronts all of these scribes publicly. And he says, you've been talking about me behind my back. You've accused me of all of these things. But let's actually have a logical conversation. I'm going to step away from there and up onto my platform for just a minute and encourage you to work diligently to engage in logical conversations. To engage in conversations as much as we can that are devoid of emotionalism and to actually seek the truth. That's going to be our first point in just a minute. 
Y'all, we live in an emotionally charged culture today. A culture that is emotionally charged environment. It is emotionally charged with people that scream at each other constantly on TV and write terrible, nasty things about each other on social media. And they do so all out of emotion without actually engaging in logical conversation. We as the people of God, the people of the book, above all people, must be people who are committed to truth. The scribes come down and try to whip people up into the frenzy with all their emotionalism. He's, he's possessed by the devil. Jesus says, let's step back and have a logical conversation about this. If I were possessed by the devil, does anybody believe I'd be out here fighting against the devil? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, the only thing that makes sense is if I showed up and I'm actually stronger than he is, I've tied him up and I'm taking what was his. Jesus says, I am the thief in the night. Then Jesus gets to verse 28. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now initially, this appears as though this is an odd transition. Jesus goes from uh, the, strong man that, or the, from the stronger man that binds up the strong man and plunders his house to say, truly, truly, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. For a moment, somebody out there is going, what, how does this relate? Don't miss that Jesus is speaking to a specific and direct group of people. He's talking to the scribes. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. It occurred to me this week, this is one of the most terrifying and intimidating verses in all of Scripture. Because Jesus does not include on the back side of this a call to repent. Jesus does not issue on the backside of this the way out. This is not a plea from Jesus to these people. This is a warning. You may go so far that you will have sacrificed all chance at ever having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, do you believe that? I absolutely do. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Verses 24 and Here, Paul, writing of God's wrath on unrighteousness, says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God gave them up. Why? Because they traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded 
the truth. They knew what they were doing and chose to turn from the truth and embrace the lie. The implication in Mark chapter 3 is that these scribes knew full well who it was that they were speaking to and speaking about. But these scribes were so entrenched in their own way of life. They were so entrenched in their own worldview. They were so entrenched in their own power. They were so entrenched in their own lifestyle that rather than submit to the truth that they knew existed, they chose to trade the truth about Jesus for the lie with the hopes that in so doing they may be able, may be able to maintain their own personal position. What is the unpardonable sin? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It is to know the truth and to willingly trade the truth of God for the lie and to worship and serve the creature or the created things rather than the Creator. The unpardonable sin is to know that Jesus is the Savior of mankind. To know that the command and the call of Jesus is right and true. And instead of submitting and surrendering to Christ. To worship and serve the passions of my heart. Lord God, I know that this is wrong. I just don't care. What terrifies me. For our world today, and possibly for many of you, is that we walk, you walk, dangerously close to the precipice of unforgivable sin because you are living it daily in unrepentant sin, knowing full well the call that God has placed on your life and choosing to love the creature, yourself, more than the Creator. This morning, what I hope that we can wrestle through is not just what is the unpardonable sin, but how in the world can I avoid this sin? How can I help others to avoid this sin? The first thing that we must do is seek the truth. Seek the truth. You see, if, if we were honest here, if the scribes were honest, the reality is they didn't want to know the truth. Some of you who have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, some of you have been saved, if you were honest today, would say that you made it through a period of time in your life when you didn't want to know the truth, where you intentionally closed your eyes to the truths of God's Word and the truths of God's world because to acknowledge that truth existed was to put yourself in a conundrum that you did not want to wrestle through. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 1. Paul says we are without excuse. People say, well, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? Paul says you are without excuse. 
For even the very creation screams of God's goodness and glory. But in our sin, we choose to worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. The original sin of mankind is idolatry. It is a prideful replacement of the worship of God for the worship of self. And throughout Israel's history, the chief sin of Israel has been to sin by idolatry. To replace God with created things that they may bow down and worship. Why are we so tempted by idolatry? Because it is comfortable. When I worship a God of my own creating, that God asks and requires nothing of me except that which I want to give to him or her. When I worship a God of my own creating, it's incredible. I recognize that that God looks a lot like me, acts a lot like me, likes a lot of the same things I like. If I were to create a God, the God of Craig Thompson... It would be a God who encourages me to eat a lot of ice cream. To do all the things that I want. To waste all the time I want. And in so doing, that God would be glorified. The problem is, that's not the God of Scripture. There is only one true God. And we must decide whether or not we will worship Him. Seek the truth. Do you want to know? You hear me say often that Jesus confronted a sick man and said, Do you want to be well? Why would Jesus ask if he wants to be well? Because there are some people in this world that don't want to be well. Do you know there are some people in the world that don't want to know the truth? Because to know the truth in their line of thinking is to be confronted with a reality that they don't want to acknowledge. Have you sought the truth? I had the opportunity just a few weeks ago to speak with a, uh, a young woman teenage girl who um, was struggling with her salvation or lack thereof. She wanted to know if God could love her. Yes, God would certainly does love you and wants nothing more than for you to be saved. But I'm a homosexual. Since we'd already, you're 14. I mean, how, how do you even know? She said, is that wrong? I said, well, what do you think? Is it, some people say it's wrong. I said, I don't care what some people think. It doesn't even matter what I think. What does the Bible teach you about that? Do you know? Have you read it? Yes, I know. Why are we having, like, what, what's your question? The question is not whether or not you know the truth. The question is whether or not you're willing to acknowledge the truth. Y'all, when's the last time that you wrestled with whether or not something in your life was right or wrong? And you were willing to actually go to the Scripture and seek out the answer? When? When's the last time that instead of calling your friends or putting out requests on Facebook that you just found yourself face to face with this book open Lord God show me the truth we've become a culture 
that determines right and wrong and morality by popular opinion and majority rule? When's the last time that you sought the Lord for His direction? How can you avoid the unpardonable sin? Seek the truth. Seek it. Do you know that He will be found by all who seek Him? Do you know there's never been anyone who sought the Lord Jesus Christ who didn't find Him? Do you know that? Seek the truth. The scribes didn't want to know the truth. But guess what? They came face to face with the truth, didn't they? The truth sought them out. See, occasionally, God in His grace, even if you're not searching for Him, God in His grace will hunt you down. What a graceful God we serve. Seek the truth. Number two this morning, know the truth. Do you know that it is actually possible to know something? Somebody says, well, of course it is. That's because you are like 50 or above. And you've grown up in a culture that affirms the existence of absolute truth. Our college students today are being confronted in English and philosophy and sociology classes and heaven forbid, sometimes even in a math class, which I just can't wrap my brain around, with a question of whether or not objective truth actually exists. Whether or not there is such a thing as absolute morality and absolute right and wrong. I sat with one of our college students not too long ago who shared with me about an experience in a class or a professor had had them read two pieces of writing and to critique the writing. One of the writings was by a guy named Peter Singer. Peter Singer is an ethicist, world-renowned. And it was interesting to recognize that this professor had chosen a, a, a piece of writing from Singer that, that was really easy to agree with without actually acknowledging the entire truth of who Peter Singer is. Peter Singer is a bad person. And I say that because I know what Peter Singer believes. Peter Singer not only advocates for abortion. Peter Singer says that there are some animals who are more human than certain humans are. Peter Singer advocates not only for abortion, but for infanticide up to a certain age. Because until a certain age, a child hasn't really achieved a level of humanness. It's a tenured professor in an Ivy League school. And I'm not making these things up. You can read his writing. Peter Singer argues that there is no objective morality. It's a sliding scale. Do you know that there are truths that you can know without a shadow of a doubt? Postmodernism fails. Period. If I hit you on the finger with the hammer that is in my office, you will know that it hurts. It's an objective truth. We need not question it. You can know objective truths about God and about His Word. Well, you can't know everything about God. Yeah, you won't ever know everything about God, but you can know a lot of things about Him. You can know He loves you. You can know He's the God of the universe. You can know He sent Jesus down across from His sins. The scribes came face to face with Christ. Even though they weren't seeking the truth, though I urge you to do so, they came face to face with Him and were forced to wrestle with the question of whether or not they would know the truth. Now I want to argue 
that those scribes knew the truth whether they wanted to admit it or not. I do not believe for a moment that anyone ever came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and was able to deny the reality of who it was that they were engaged with. I would further like to argue that it was absolutely impossible to believe that the religious leaders and the scribes of Israel could come face to face with the Messiah for whom they had long awaited and not acknowledge that he was the one he claimed to be. He was doing the things that they had written about. He was the one that Isaiah warned them about or that promised them that he would bind, that he would set free. How can you avoid the unpardonable sin? Seek the truth. Know the truth. Know it. We don't have to buy the lie that there's not anything we can know. There are lots of things we can know. I can read this word and I can know how it is that I'm supposed to love my children and love my wife. I can know how it is I'm supposed to engage in business practices. I can know what is objectively right and wrong morally. I can understand sexual ethics from this word. This book can inform me about the way that I should vote. This book can inform me about the way that I should read and love and care for others. Know the truth. Seek the truth. Know the truth. Folks, we need to know it. And as the people of God, we got to live by it. I am gravely concerned that God's people today are trading their prophetic voice in hopes that they will gain political power. I was heartbroken. Hold on to something because some of you are not going to like this. I was heartbroken to read Franklin Graham say that we are not in a place where we could judge Donald Trump's past actions. God forbid... That as the people of God, we would ever get to a place where we would be so desirous of political power that we would urge people to turn a blind eye to grievous, gross sin. Jesus didn't come to offer us power. He died so that we could live And we're trading it for a lie. This word is filled with truth. And we need to cling to every last word of it. Until someone pries it from our cold, dead hands. Know the truth and obey the truth. Once you know the truth, you are culpable to obey it. There is no offer of repentance here in God's Word. Why does He not offer repentance? Now, hear me say, hear me say, there has never been a soul 
who has called on the name of the Lord who has not been saved. There will never be anyone who calls on the name of the Lord who is not saved. Not today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not ever. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it does appear right here that there is a bridge too far that we could walk to such a point that the Lord would remove the opportunity for us to be confronted with and convicted by our own sin and to repent and believe. It is possible that a human being could so harden their heart. And this has got to be one of the saddest truths in all of Scripture. It is possible that a human being could so harden their heart that they've actually become beyond saving. Because God is not strong enough? No. Because they are no longer willing. One of the scariest truths of God's Word is that He gives us what we want. One of the scariest truths of God's Word and about God's character is He gives us what we want. And if you want Him to leave you alone, and if you want to ignore and deny the truths that He has shown you, The day may come when He gives you exactly what you want to be left alone and left to yourself. The scribes, and it's important that we tie this in the historical picture. The the scribes were guilty because they were saying He has an unclean spirit. The scribes knew who they were talking to, but rather than acknowledge who he was, they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. They were looking at the Son of God and calling him the Son of the Devil. There aren't a whole lot of people in the world that are doing that, okay? And it's because there aren't a whole lot of people who are doing that that I actually can close this sermon not only with a warning, but with a word of hope. The vast majority of this world, for the vast majority of this world, there is yet hope. Most of the people that you will encounter today or tomorrow or this week who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ have not yet reached the place where there is no hope. For 99.9% of the people that you'll encounter, there's still a chance. But you may be their last hope. You. What is the unpardonable sin? To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. But if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in wondering what the unpardonable sin is. 
that we miss out on the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the millions of people who have not sinned the unpardonable sin. They're waiting for believers in Jesus. You ready for this? To seek the truth, know the truth, and obey the truth. And the truth of God's word is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The truth of God's word is that there is a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. But we as God's church have been given the commission, the great commission by Christ to go and to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the truth. Seek it if you don't believe me. You want to know what your purpose is in the world? To glorify the Lord by proclaiming His good news to a world that is lost and dying. Second, know the truth. Seek it out and know it. Know what it says. You don't have to wonder about God's will. He's given it to you. He's wrapped it up between two covers and given it to us in a nice collection. 66 books. Know the truth. And then obey it. This is not a manifesto for power. It is a love letter of hope. And it is the only hope for a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. And the church is the only hope to proclaim this message. We've got to get busy. So this morning, would you come and pray that the Lord would give you a conviction to get busy about the Word of God? Perhaps some of you this morning need to come and say, Pastor, I have run from the truth for too many years and I'm afraid I may be at the end of my rope. I don't know if God would give me another chance. Some of you are here today and this might be the last time that the Lord is going to give you an opportunity. He's not under obligation to give you this one and he's certainly under no obligation to give you another. Whatever it is the Lord's burdening you this morning to do, would you be obedient? Would you obey the truths of God's word? Would you not trade those truths for a lie, but instead would you trade your lie for his truths? Be changed. Would you come today? Father God in heaven, we honor you. Lord, help us to know the truth and obey the truth. And Lord God, to acknowledge that you are the way and the truth and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand and as we sing, would you allow the Lord to work? Would you obey?